following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I love that at Artisan we, we live out that biblical example that worship is sometimes loud and sometimes silent and sometimes soft. In the soft times, it's very nice to hear all of your voices singing. I want to say a word of thanks to those of you who are um, sitting in the wings there, and especially to those of you who parked on the street this morning in this crappy weather. Um, the, the truth is that our, our uh, parking lot doesn't quite hold enough cars to support the, the space that our sanctuary holds. And so um, it's very helpful to people who are, arrive late if there's a place they can find that's easier to park on. Uh, and I just want to remind you, if you are one of those kind souls who parks on the street, be kind also to our neighbors and leave them a car's width <laughs> so they can get out of their driveways and so forth it's on, on this fairly busy street, even on Sundays. Um, but thank you for making room. You can see, as I mentioned earlier, we're doing a lot of other things around here to make room. The color in here is new, and uh, it's designed in part to uh, trick you into feeling like the room is bigger than it is. <laughs> Um, those doors are part of the, the big grand design too, so we're, we're working hard to make it comfortable in here as we grow, which is a good problem to have, but glad that you're here with us. Um, <coughs> today I want to uh, pick up in the book of John where we left off last week, and if you've been paying careful attention, you'll notice that I've changed a little bit the topic for today and for next week, and the one that was going to be for next week has been postponed. It'll be the next time we come back to John, because after next week we're starting a different topic. But I realized that the, the section in the book of John that we wanted to look at today actually has two stories in it, and you'll look at this and see it too if you look at um, John chapter 4. You'll see, uh, if you start with verse 27, which is where we're starting today, and, and go through 42, that one little story begins there, and then there's a little thing that's inserted into it, and then the, the conclusion of the start of the passage happens at the end of the passage. And so what we're going to do is do the beginning and the ending of that group of verses, and then next week we'll come back to the, the spiritual food topic, which was the one between verses 31 and 38. So in case you're really like paying close attention and you're wondering what's going on here. Um, that's what's happening today. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and if you remember, if you were here last week, Jesus had just said something really quite amazing to this woman, the Samaritan woman that he met at the well that Jacob had built. He had, it, when, when she had said, someday the Messiah will come and explain all things to us, what he said to her was, I am he, the one who's speaking to you. And uh, so he, he's making a claim to be the Messiah, this prophesied, anointed, forever king uh, of God's people. And I also mentioned last week that the way that he says it is simply to say, I am. The English translators and editors added, I am he, which is the way that snotty English people would say it. <laughs> um, most of us would say, I'm him, but that's not correct, actually. Um, it doesn't matter, though, because that, that pronoun isn't in the original language. This is, I am, which, in my opinion, is Jesus making claim to be of one with the Father. 
who, who identifies himself, God the Father identifies himself throughout the Old Testament as Yahweh, I am. And Jesus said last week to the Samaritan woman, well, it wasn't last week, it was a little longer ago than that. Um, he said, I am, in reference to her, her, in response to her reference to the Messiah. So Jesus is saying two very important things there, and that's where we pick it up uh, today. And so what I'd like to do is read through this passage, and I would like to ask you to do something a little bit special as I'm reading. What I want you to do is listen and imagine, you know, kind of introduce yourself to these characters in the story as we go through, and think about which character you most closely identify with in this passage. This is an interesting way to encounter Scripture sometimes, and I'd I think it will set up what I want to do um, afterwards pretty well. So as I read this, think about which of these characters you most identify with. Verse 27, Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to meet him, or on their way to him. Now we're going to skip to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. So what I have today is uh, what I will call a sermon in three movements. And... uh, it just seemed like this would be a good way to approach this text today. I really want you to um, be present in this story for some reason. That's kind of where I want to go with this. And so the, f- the first movement I have titled Astonishing Shortcomings. Jesus spends time with the lowly people in the New Testament, with the scummy people. with the lawbreakers and with the prostitutes and with the ceremonially unclean. And in this case, with the, the, the lower half of human existence in the, in the opinion of that culture, with a woman. And even more than that, a Samaritan woman. You remember, if you were here last week, that the Samaritans were people who had intermarried with Gentiles and, and they were already part of the the, uh, the worst of the two kingdoms that, that split. And so they were not regarded as part of the Jewish community. They were, they were wedged in between two sections of the Jewish community geographically, and that's why Jesus was there, because he was passing through. But the Samaritans were, were not true Jews. They were, you know, they may have been thought of as half-breeds and some, you know, some of these really ugly names I'm sure were used of Samaritans. And Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, and so strike two for her. 
And then, after she goes and tells her community about him, and they come to meet him, and they, they ask him to stay with them for two days, he agrees to stay with them. What an amazing thing. We, like, you just, one of those sentences in the Bible, you're reading it fast, you're just trying to get done before you go to work or whatever. You don't think about what that means. Jesus stayed in Samaria, in dirt town, for two days. On his, he was on his way to, to another place, and he met this woman, this unclean, half-breed, dirty woman. And then all of her you know, unclean, half-breed, dirty friends and they asked him to stay with them, and he said yes. He stayed with them two days. Did you know that he was not allowed to touch these people, and in some cases not allowed to touch things that they had touched. This is the way the ceremonial Jewish law worked. He stayed with them for two days. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul would later write of Jesus, He is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. And he also wrote this. There is no longer Jew or Greek, or the in-between would be Samaritan. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Jesus living out this reality that Paul would later identify in the first one is from the book of Ephesians and this one is from the, the book of Galatians. This woman had some astonishing shortcomings for her to be talking to the Messiah, the holy anointed forever king of Israel. And I'd like to ask you to pause for a few moments and I'll give you the relative silence that is possible in this room, and consider this. What are those character traits about you, about yourself, that would make Jesus' disciples, that is, the insiders, the religious establishment, sort of, what, what, what traits about you would make those people astonished to see Jesus talking to you? And ask yourself this, do you sometimes feel the, the embarrassment that the Samaritan woman must have felt? You notice that when the disciples arrived, they didn't say anything. They stood there in one of those uncomfortable silences until she left, and she didn't even bother to take her water jug back with her. You sometimes feel that embarrassment around religious people? <laughs> whether it's because of something that's legitimately wrong in you or whether it's because of some expectation they place on you. What are your astonishing shortcomings? Think about that for just a minute. And now I'd like you to think of those shortcomings in light of the Samaritan woman's shortcomings and take another minute and recognize Jesus' love 
for you. The love that he had for this woman. The same love that he has for you. And uh, recognize your value in his kingdom. Because as we'll see in the next movement, she had some pretty high value in his kingdom. Take a moment and recognize his love for you. The second movement this morning is, I've titled it, I don't know slash come and see. Do you notice the woman's testimony in this story? And uh, forgive me for using such a churchy word. Those of you who've been in church all the time know, that, know what I mean by testimony. And those of you who've never been in church wonder if I'm talking about a courtroom. But her story, the story that she told about her experience with Jesus, did you notice that it was both a heartfelt description of a supernatural experience that she had had with Jesus. In other words, he told me everything about me. He knew everything about me. How would he have known that? It was that, and it was full of skepticism. She knew something special had happened, but she couldn't yet believe all the way that what he had said about himself was true. Do you remember she said, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And she told the story anyway, even though she didn't quite yet believe, it would seem, what he had said about himself. And here's the amazing thing. People believed her story. Her irrefutably real experience with Jesus was a more powerful statement to them than her doubt about who he said he was. Verse 39, many believed because of her story. So she is both saying, I don't know about the big, tall, grand claims of Messiahship. And she is saying to them, come and see anyway. To me, that is just an incredible dichotomy. And I wonder what your I don't know slash come and see testimony might be. Have you had this internal struggle sometimes where you know that you have had a real experience with Jesus, but but you are just not sure that you can buy the whole thing? (laughs) You can't deny what's happened in your heart, but you're not so sure about the the Niceo-Constantinopolitan creed just yet. That was a lot of syllables. I think I got at least one of them wrong. We did the Apostles' Creed last week. Did you have any question marks at the end of those statements? (laughs) Sometimes people do. I believe in God the Father. Yeah, etc. If you live in that gray space, shame on you and go away and never come back. No. I would never say such a thing. If you live in that gray space, I suggests to you that you have an unparalleled ability to share this story with people. Your skepticism gives you an incredible amount of believability with people. Does that make any sense? Who likes a know-it-all? Show of hands. I like know-it-alls, right? I love when they tell me everything exactly as it is 
because I am so dim. And it's really wonderful when someone who knows everything already can tell me what is actually true. It's very helpful. Said no one ever, right? <laughs> Your skepticism gives you credibility. So I'd like you now, for the second movement, to pause in, in some relative silence for a few minutes and, and consider this. Consider your experience with Jesus. What do you feel sure about? What is the most undeniable part of the story that you have with Jesus? That's part one. At the same time... I would like you to consider your doubts. What are they? Which parts of the story are you still struggling to believe? I would like you to admit them to yourselves. The I don't know parts. Say it out loud in your brain, if that makes any sense. Nobody is probably brave enough to say it out loud with your mouth. How many of you have been brave enough to say it out loud in your brain? He can't be the Messiah, can he? Consider your experience with Jesus, the undeniably real parts, and consider your doubts. Take a minute and do that. And now, what I'd like you to do is, in light of that tension that exists in your soul, take another minute and recognize your value in his kingdom. Because the woman, as you might remember, had a pretty high value. Many believed as a result of her broken half skepticism. Recognize your value in his kingdom. The third movement this morning is called no longer because of. Remember, Jesus stayed with the Samaritans for two days at their request. And two things happened, two very interesting things happened. The first, in verse 41, is that many more believed. Now, many had believed because of her testimony. Now, many more believed because of his word. That's the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened is very interesting to me. The, the ones who had already believed changed their reason for belief. Did you catch that at the end of that story? 
Verse 42, they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. They had believed because of the woman's testimony, some of them, many of them. But now it's no longer for that reason that they believed. They, they had had this new experience that trumped the old one and made it even more believable, solidified it in their mind even more. And this actually sounded weird at first, but it actually sounded vaguely familiar to me as I thought about it more. I know in my own life, since I was, I was raised in the church from, from day one, which is both an enormous blessing and a, a pretty significant obstacle sometimes. Can I get an amen from those people who've heard, can I get an amen their whole life? (laughs) But I have had a series of moments during my childhood and adolescence and even into early adulthood. Of course, this is behind me now. Um, But where I I took, I would take a new step of faith, a bigger step, a deeper step, however you want to describe it. And each time, my tendency was to think that this was the real thing now, right? And whatever had happened before was childish and insubstantial and not sufficient. I have reached the actual minimum height now. (laughs) But what I've come to understand, and I, I hope that you will also come to understand this if you're in the same boat, is that each one of those steps that I took was important. None of them was meaningless. And most importantly of all, I think it's very unlikely that I could have made the next step if I hadn't gone through and taken the step before it. Is this ringing true with you at all? Some of you have had this longer experience with Jesus. You know, my, my Sunday school teacher when I was six told me about, about you know, the, 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 the gospel story and you know, what happens if you believe this and what happens if you don't believe it and, and all those things. And, and I believed it based on what she told me. She didn't, she, didn't know, she didn't know anything. She didn't say anything about, like, the age of the earth <laughs> or the problem of evil. None of those things were obstacles to me at the age of six years old. <laughs> they sure as hell were obstacles to me when I was 20. But that doesn't mean my experience when I was six years old in that little room with that wonderful old woman, Mrs. McDonald, doesn't count. So what is your no longer because of reason for faith? I'd like to ask you to pause at the end of this last movement and consider this. What was the, what was the first reason you had for believing in Jesus? Does it seem a little bit childish now? Are you perhaps even a little bit ashamed (laughs) of it? Because whatever that was, it would never convince October 2012 you of anything. I want you to take two little pauses here. The first one, I want you to recognize the importance of that moment, and maybe there's several of them in the history of your faith. Imagine those moments and how they were a step 
on the road to where you are now. Take a minute and think about those old moments. Embrace those moments and, and acknowledge their importance in your spiritual life and your development. And now I want you to take one last minute and think about what is the next one for you? What is the next step of faith for you that might be significant enough that it might cause your most recent one for you to say, no, it's not because of that that I believe. It's because of this new thing. We're always going to live in that tension. What is the next step of faith for you? Pause and think about that. So three movements this morning, astonishing shortcomings, I don't know slash come and see, <laughs> and no longer because of. I hope that these have helped you encounter this text in a, in a special way. Um, let's pray together. God, thank you for this witness of scripture, for this wonderful story of Jesus at Jacob's well with a Samaritan woman and with her friends. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to stay two days with us who are dirty and unclean and half-bred religious outsiders, people who don't fit the bill. Give us the courage, we ask, O oh Lord, to share our stories. Our stories in tension between what we believe and what we doubt. Help us to be brave enough to share Jesus with friends, even when we don't have everything figured out. And finally, Lord, help us always to remember and recognize the moments where we took steps of faith in our life before, however insignificant and childish and insufficient they might seem in retrospect. May we know from them that you have always been present with us and may they help us to trust you that you will be with us for the next step and the ones after it. Give you thanks for all these things this morning. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.